So Exodus chapter 16, uh, I think we'll read the first 31 verses, and it's page 73 if you've got one of the Pew Bibles. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there the glory of the Lord, there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. 
It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, it would be helpful, I think, if you have your Bible open at uh, Exodus 16, as we look at this uh, great part of the Exodus story. You might have had the experience of doing one of those uh, online training courses that you have to do occasionally for your work. Uh, you know how it is. You log on, and uh, there's a video to watch and some slides to click through. And maybe you think, I sort of know this, and it's click, 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 as fast as you possibly can. Uh, maybe you check your email at the same time the video is playing. And, and then, of course, you forget that you, 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 there's a test at the end of it. And uh, I, I've had to do that in the past. I didn't know there was a test at the end of it. And uh, I had to do the whole thing over again because I failed the test. And uh, that's sort of the sort of thing that's happening with God's people in the desert after the exodus. In many ways, what's, what's going on here is that God is training them. And they certainly do not know as much as they think they do. They feel the test again and again. They, they are learning the basic mechanics of what it means to be God's people. What does it look like to uh, walk with Him and follow Him? And we're going to see that as we see the story of the manna in Exodus 16. So where are we? Well, well, God's people have been slaves in Egypt. They've been terribly mistreated by the Egyptians, but God has answered their cries. He's delivered them from Egypt. The uh, decisive event, of course, is the Passover, where they're saved from God's judgment on the firstborn by the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the doorposts and the lintels of their houses. And Pharaoh lets them go. But then he changes his mind, and, and God leads them through the Red Sea, and the Israelites are saved, and the Egyptians, are, uh, the Egyptians perish. And we saw last time that they praise God for their deliverance. And now begins the long business of learning to walk with God. They're going to be in the desert for 40 years. They don't know that yet. And here they are learning what it is like to walk with God. They're learning what the Christian life looks like, we might say. They're being trained by their circumstances and by how God is dealing with them. And we're getting to look in on this story uh, because this is part of our story too. Well, there are three words that are going to guide us through uh, this passage this morning. And the first word is grumbling, grumbling. They've been in Elam. There's a good water supply, palm trees. Now they head down towards Sinai and they pass through this wilderness of Sin or Shin. It's not a pleasant place. It's a desert area, and their food supply is under threat. It starts to dwindle, although they've still got their flocks and their herds with them, and they begin to grumble. You see it in verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, "'Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full.'" For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now, so much that we've got to learn here. It just shows us that, that even as we're following the Lord, sometimes our thinking can be pretty off the mark. In some ways, these are new believers. They're, they're, they're trusting God in this new circumstance for the first time. But even for us who've been on the road for a while, our thinking can be really off beam. We can, for example, at times, can't we, look back at our old life 
with rose-tinted spectacles. Maybe there was a time that you lived and you weren't a Christian uh, and uh, you, you, you were maybe an adult for a while and, and, and you look back at that uh, uh, time and you think, do you know what? Uh, that wasn't so bad. There, there were really good things about that. Maybe your Christian life has been beset by difficulties. Uh, maybe that's a surpri- been a surprise to you. We sometimes think that life with God is going to be easier, and, and sometimes w- we find it to be challenging, and it's a surprise. And maybe we start to think, you know, there were lots of things about my old life that were, that were really quite good, and, and that's what happened to these people. They look back, and Egypt became, in their minds, rather wonderful. They had meat pots and bread. Now, they're really not thinking properly because, don't forget, they had been slaves, and their slave diets have now, in their minds, become great banquets. Remember how we used to eat? And if we read back in Exodus, of course, we realize that it was because of their, their misery that, that they are prompted to call upon the Lord And the Lord delivers them out of Egypt in the first place. But now that they're following the Lord, they start to think, they forget about the misery, and they start to think about the the meat. What a wonderful life we had back then. Do, do Do you recognize any of that? Do you ever think whenever life as a Christian gets tough, do you ever think, do you know, it was easier before I became a Christian? Or, Or maybe you think, maybe it would be easier if I wasn't a Christian. Aren't we fickle? sometimes. And, and then look at who they blame. They, they blame Moses and Aaron. Verse 2, you've brought us out here, they say. But Moses and Aaron know exactly what's going on. And as we read through the passage, you see that, for example, in verse 8, they, they point out that it is the Lord that they are grumbling against. What are we? Verse 8, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. It's easy to blame the messengers, isn't it? But as someone said, Moses and Aaron are are, are but the postmen. They're not writing the letters. They're just delivering them. And Moses and Aaron are absolutely right. Their grumbling is against the Lord. They're they're just not content with God's dealings with them. They're basically saying, if you were the sort of God that we had hoped you would be, our lives would be different. You would be doing a better job than you are. Our circumstances would certainly be different. I've been reading some of John Newton's letters recently, you know, who wrote Amazing Grace, and, and, and he spoke of this struggle. On the one hand, he, he said this. He said, I believe that God has a sovereign right to do what he will with his own, and that this sovereignty is but another name for the unlimited exercise of his wisdom and goodness. It's a beautiful sentence. He, he, he's saying, I know that, that God is in control and that God is always wise and good. I know that, he says. And then he goes on, but my reasonings are often such as if I had never heard of these principles or had formally renounced them. In other words, I know I believe this, but often my thinking doesn't follow my faith. And you see, God is training his people here to help him, to help them to see that he knows what he's doing and he can be trusted. They grumbled. We grumbled. They ought to trust. We ought to trust. So, if, if our younger folk are are thinking about what the, the, the main thing is here. As you guys grow up, 
Don't be surprised if you feel at times it's hard to follow Jesus. But it is worth it. And you don't want to listen to the evil one who will tell you it would be easier to throw it all in. So you keep trusting him. That's the point. Grumbling. Second thing, provision. This gets us really to the heart of this passage. God provides for his people. Because when the people start to grumble, rather than punish them, God blesses them. That's the sort of God we have. He sends them first quail in the evening and manna in the morning. Quail are little birds that uh, were considered a delicacy in Egypt. They're, they're common to that area. And apparently, sometimes they migrate across this region, and they can. They've been flying all day, and they settle in the desert. They're, they're exhausted after a day's flying, and you can just pretty much scoop them up and put them into your frying pan. And, and, and so, so this is a, a miracle that is more about timing than about content, as it were. Just when they needed things to happen, well, the quail arrived. God does that sometimes, doesn't he? Otherwise, ordinary things just happen at the right time. It's one of God's ways for providing for his people. Now, the quail were not to be a regular occurrence, but what happens in the morning is to be a regular occurrence. The Israelites get up, and all over the ground, there is this frost-like substance that they call manna, the Hebrew word for what is it sounds like manna. And so they're just asking, what is it? And that sort of sticks. And, and, and we don't know what this is like. Eh? Look, the ground is covered, and what is it? Is what they're saying. And, and this is a miracle that is not only a miracle of timing, but of content as well. It, it is absolutely unique and, 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 uh, and special. It is bread from heaven. It's, it's unlike something that they've ever seen, anything they've ever seen before. Kids' ministry people are using Frosties. They're going to fill your kids full of Frosties out there. And, and, uh, and, and that's, that's as close as the kids' ministry people know what manna is, but we don't really know. So, so it's, an, it's a direct in, in invention, intervention of God. He's sustaining his people miraculously. But we learn all sorts of lessons uh, in how God gives it to them. They must gather it each morning. If they lie in their beds, they're going to go hungry. And they can't keep it over. They've got to go out every morning. Moses tells them that. They ignore him initially. You can just imagine them saying, sure, we've got loads. We'll not bother going out today. You can just put some cling film on that and put it into the fridge. And then they bring it out in the morning, and their leftovers are full of worms. So it's, it's an every morning thing. There is an exception, and that is that they're to take a day off, a Sabbath. The day uh, before that, they're to gather twice what they need, so they don't need to gather it on the Sabbath because it doesn't come on the Sabbath, and they find that that material that is stored doesn't go bad. You notice that some of them, again, ignore Moses' instructions in this 2, verse 27, and they go hungry because there's nothing there. Now, you can see at a very basic level what God is doing here. God is saying, now, I'm going to tell you some things, and if you want to be fed, then you've got to trust me, and you've got to obey me. They're, they're just learning that, that blessing comes with trusting and obeying the Lord, don't they? There's a couple of things that, that, that I think we really want to underline here about this provision. First of all, there is daily provision. God's provision is daily. God is teaching his people and us that our basic relationship with him is to be a daily relationship. They've got to get up and trust him 
every morning. They don't have anything in their fridge from last night. They must remember that he provides, and they've got to go in obedience and gather. They've got to look to God every day, every morning. Why does God do it this way? He would be more than capable of sending manna that had built-in preservatives like the Frosties that will last for months, which is not a good sign. And why does he give the manna such a short shelf life? Some of the old Jewish commentators uh, talked about this, and they told a story. This is what they said. They said, there was once a king who promised his son an alliance, and he told them that he would give him what he needed to live on at the beginning of every month. And very soon the king found that he only saw his son at the beginning of every month, once a month. So the king changed things. He said, son, I'm going to change how things are happening here. I'm going to give you the same allowance, but I'm going to split it up. I'm going to give it to you every day. And so every day the son turned up for his allowance, and the king saw his son every day. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? As we journey with the Lord, he is seeking to teach us that we must look to him every day. Yesterday's provision will not take us through today. It will not guarantee tomorrow. And this is a theme that the Bible just weaves through its whole story. It carries it forward. So Psalm 118, we we began with it this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today, let us rejoice in the Lord. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then when Jesus teaches us to pray, we'll say it later on in our communion service, what does he teach us to say? Give us this day our daily bread. We're being taught to trust God day by day and to look to him day by day. How's that going for you? What could you do to find a pattern of daily looking to the Lord? Daily provision, that's one thing. The other thing here is Sabbath provision. There are all these instructions about not gathering the manna on the Sabbath and preparing for it the day before. And and when you think about it, this is also about trust, isn't it? Whenever we, we stop working, we have to trust that God is continuing to work. We have to say, Lord, I'm not the ultimate shaper of my life. You are. I'm going to stop, and and I'm going to set aside the things that I'm normally doing, and I'm going to be confident that I can do that because I know that I can trust you. I'm confident that what has been done already in obedience to you will carry things through. Now, Now, here's the thing that's really interesting about this. You remember we said that the, the children of Israel, at this point, they're journeying from, uh, they've crossed the Red Sea, they're journeying from Elam down towards Sinai, and it is at Sinai that they get the Ten Commandments. They haven't been there yet. They haven't got the Ten Commandments yet. So at this point in their story, there is no Sabbath commandment. And what this seems to mean is that the Sabbath principle is woven into the very fact of the world that God has made. In other words, the law that they receive at Sinai does not create the Sabbath. It it, it recognizes it. 
And when the law is given, the rationale for the Sabbath, of course, goes back to creation. God created it in six days, and on the seventh he rested, and so on. In other words, the, the Sabbath thing is not a temporary thing. It doesn't really seem possible for us to say, well, that was just for those people. But we, in our 24-hour, always plugged-in society, we can ignore that. No, it looks like this is God's design for his people everywhere and at every time. It's really important in our always connected age. We, we've got to stop our work and trust the Lord who is also at work and always at work. Because we're saying as we do that, what I am doing is less important than what you have done and what you are doing. And so I'm not going to fret about all that I've left undone. I'm going to trust in what you have finished and what you are working out. I'm going to look to you today. So you see, daily provision, Sabbath. So again, young people, this is telling us that there are two basic rhythms to being a Christian. Looking to God day by day, and we do that as we read our Bible and we say our prayers, and then Sunday by Sunday as we stop what we're normally doing and we come together with our friends and our brothers and sisters and we worship him together. God is teaching us that these things are, are really important. So, provision. Last thing is satisfaction, just in a word. The manna was temporary. It, it stopped when the people entered the promised land, but like so many things in the Old Testament... It pointed forward to a greater provision that God would make for his people in Jesus. And Jesus picks this up in John chapter 6. We didn't read it. We don't have time to read it this morning, but I'd encourage you to read it. He just fed 5,000 people. And the next day, he ends up in a bit of a conversation or an argument with a crowd, and the subject of manna comes up. And this is what he says, John six thirty-five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying that he is the true bread that comes down from heaven. He, he's, the, he's the one who brings ultimate satisfaction. Now, the crowd reacted really strongly against that claim because they understand what a high claim it is. They actually grumble, it says. But, but Jesus repeats it, verse 48, I am the breath of, uh, bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So you see, Jesus is, is picking this up, and he's saying, manna in the desert sustain God's people. Do you know what? I am the ultimate satisfaction for God's people. The manna in the desert kept them from death. I am the one who can keep you from death eternally. He is God's ultimate provision. And what that means is that Jesus is saying to us, I'm enough for you. I'm enough for you. Tim Chester writes beautifully of this in his commentary on Exodus. I would just have loved to read about five minutes worth of it. It's just beautiful. But let me read you this little section. He says, we look for satisfaction in our careers, 
but at best, a career ends in retirement. We look for satisfaction in the admiration of others, but our looks fade or our powers decline or somebody more admirable comes along. We look for satisfaction in relationships, but people betray us or we are left bereaved. And when these things endure, we don't. We die, and death robs us of all the things for which we have lived, and for we take none of it with us. There is only one exception, and that is Jesus. Death does not rob of Jesus. Quite the opposite. It opens a door to a greater experience of His glory. Look to Jesus to be enough for you, and there will never, ever come a day when He is not enough. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't our world just saying to us all the time, this is enough for you, this is enough for you, this is enough for you, this is what you need. Look to Jesus to be enough for you, and there will never, ever come a day when he's not enough. See, manna in the desert, God provides for his people. Yes, even for his grumbling people. We need to look to him and trust him day by day, Sunday by Sunday, and we need to rest in his greatest provision, the Lord Jesus. We need to remind ourselves that he is enough for us, for if we have him, we have life itself. Let's pray together.